Please bear with us this week. Due to technical difficulties, our audio is a little problematic. We hope you still enjoy. We're going to have a really big show today. <laughs> <laughs> you jumped the gun, man. All right, well, we'll just let, let it roll. <clears throat> Hello again. Welcome to Faith, Family, and Politics. I'm your host, Joshua Cummins. This is Joe Rodriguez. We're going to have a really big show today. Sometimes 
uh, I know in my life I think about some of like the youth pastors or the Sunday school teachers or, or the church pastors that I've had in my life and I think about them as leaders and and the influence that they had on me and then I try and really delineate that down to who would be the best leader and they, in my opinion the answer is simple and it is short and it's Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate and quintessential model and mold for what a leader should look like and should act like and should be. Um, and uh, I'll just go ahead and share uh, the first scripture I have. So the question I pose is how does how do Christ and the apostles define a leader? And um, you know, a leader we know, especially when you're talking about like a military leader. Um, uh, but even so, a leader that's in you know a, a social group or something like that, there are a lot of times orders or there's an agenda or there are commands that they follow uh, because typically their leadership is under the leadership of something else as well. Uh, and, and that is true with Jesus. Jesus' leadership was under uh, the uh, the watchful eye and the will of God, you know, his Father. And, uh, and so when we think about that, we think about the commands that a leader might have. And uh, in Matthew 22, uh, verses 34 through 40, it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, Pharisees also being another group of leaders that were uh, in the community of uh, Hebrews uh, in, in Israel at the time. Uh, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So when we think about that, when we unpack that a little bit, loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, that being the first and the greatest commandment, what does that mean? And to me, that means submission. It means to submit. Because that's exactly what Jesus does. In Ephesians 5, 21 through 28, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Uh, and I've got a couple of other scriptures that I'm going to go over, but to me, when we think about when we think about the leadership of Jesus, in every step, not only does he submit himself to the will of God, to the will of his Father, to the plan of God, but he even submits himself to the point of death. He prays in the Garden of Gethsemane that the cup be taken from him, the cup of atonement, 
um, which is ironically, if you've ever gotten a chance to sit through a Passover Seder, uh, is the third cup. It is the cup after dinner. It is the cup of atonement. And that is the cup that his sacrifice represents. is the atoning sacrifice, the atoning blood that we needed to wash away sin. And it's interesting because even into death, which I'll go into a little bit later, even into death, Jesus submits to the will of God. And in 1 Corinthians 11.3, it says, But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and that the head of every woman is man, and that the head of Christ is God. So again, we see that structure of men, we are submitting to Christ. Christ is submitting to the will of God. And women, because they are made of man, submit to the head of their household, which is man, because man is then judged as the head of that household when he stands before God because he is under he is under God's judgment. And it's and it's through the it's through the salvation that we find in accepting Christ into our life that we then can be atoned for for our sins, but we're all going to stand before the judgment seat in front of God as a husband, as a father, because that is our role. And so I I truly feel like when we think about Jesus' role in leadership, the first thing we should think about when he talks about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and in some other verses with all of your strength. And we think about how he modeled that. He submitted to the perfect will of God. He laid his own life down for the completion of God's command. And then later on, he goes in to say, love your neighbor as yourself. And to me, when we think about loving each other, you know, uh, Louie and I just met each other when I got here, which was great, but in just the time that we've been able to sit and talk, like, the ideas that Louie has and, and just his character and stuff like that, it's something that I can totally love. Like, I have not met someone, even in, even in disliking them, that I wasn't willing to love. Because love looks different for every relationship that we have. There's brotherly love. There's unconditional love. There's sympathy, empathy. We have all been in situations where we have an opportunity to show compassion to one another. That is what love looks like. That's what loving your neighbor as yourself looks like. It's putting yourself in the shoes of that person and saying, you know what? Maybe they're having a really bad day because I've had a really bad day before. I know what that feels like. So I'm going to show grace and I'm going to love this person through grace because when it's all said and done, I'm going to be standing before a judgment seat in which I hope that that same grace is afforded to me in the love that Jesus showed on the cross for the forgiveness of my sin, for the will of God. And so, you know, that's kind of when I think about what a true leader is, that's what I think about. I think about understanding that even Jesus submitted to the will of God, and he was the greatest leader in the history of the world. Because not, yeah, not only was he willing to lead, but he was also willing to follow. He was also willing to follow the will of God. In, you know, in John 3, 16 and 17, probably, probably one of the most popular verses shared around the world. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then 17, which I think is even greater, says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Like, the plan was there. And all he needed Jesus to do, which he was willing to do even from birth, was to follow the will of God. He set his deity aside to complete that act. You know, in John 17, it even talks about, which, when I was going through and doing a bunch of, you know, scripture research and stuff like that, like, I, I love, I'm not the best daily Bible reader, um, but, you know, but, but when I, when I finally get my teeth sunk in, it's like a bulldog biting down on the hot dog. You know what I mean? Like, they, they're not going to let go. And, and it's so funny because I just start consuming more and more and more and more. And I think that, you know, when we get into the word, like, on a side note, when we get into the word, when we really are passionate about that sort of thing, like, it's easy for that to become contagious and infectious and to start consuming us, you know? And, and that's, I think that when you have a passion for anything, you know, when we, when we talk about, you know, our political things and stuff like that, it's easy for us when we find something that we're passionate about to start consuming more and more and more of it. And some, some you know what I mean? Like, and sometimes that can be our, to our detriment. Yeah. Because sometimes we start to lose focus on what the outside perspective is or what the, what the, uh, anything that's outside of the, um, uh, the blinders. You know what I mean? Like we have those blinders on and we're just dialed in to whatever that one thing is. Uh, and forget that horse blinders come with brains. <laughs> <laughs> and a feeding bag for the love. I'm just saying, you know. Um, uh, so, you know, I, just highlighting a couple more here, like um, John 15, 12 through 15. It says, my command is this. And this is from Jesus' own words. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, what's cool about this, this set of verses if you're not familiar with, um, like, the latter half of the book of John, it really takes place at the Last Supper. It's basically, I think, from, I think it's from John 13 to, like, John 18. It takes, that, that big chunk is things that are happening during Jesus' last night, spending with the apostles that he's walked around with and ministered with for three years. And it's cool because it comes from the perspective of John, who was one of, you know, when you hear about the 12 apostles, Peter, James, and John are like the inner circle apostles with Jesus. Jesus takes them to the mountaintop, and they see the transfiguration. Jesus pulls, you know, he, he, he knows that those three especially are going to be instrumental in the forming of what would become the Christian church, the body of Christ, you know. And so it's really cool to see the perspective that John has on this because it's an insider. The one that Jesus loved. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's my thing. And it's so funny, too, because what I'm realizing is as I'm reading through John again, that he, John is a lover. Yeah. You know what I mean? John, I feel like, is a bit of a romantic when he talks and he, he hones in on that specific thing, and it's really, really cool to be able to understand his perspective. Because he's looking at this man not as in, he's just a teacher. He's looking at this guy like, this is my best friend. This is my brother from another mother. Yeah. 
I have not. I have only known this man for three years. But we are so close that I could not even imagine breathing in a room that he wasn't in. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that Jesus was an extrovert. One hundred percent. I agree. I agree. I agree. And I think that there are definitely times that show that he has to separate himself just to get rest. You know, I mean, like he feeds the five thousand, and the first thing he does after he feeds the five thousand is he goes and finds a private place on top of a mountain somewhere and just lays out. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like he just crashes, and that's understandable. Like we all get that way. You know, when we're when we're expending that amount of energy, especially. I mean, I could not imagine five thousand men plus their wives and children. And you'd have to feed them all. Like, I've fed people on a Friday night, and there's been 40 people in my house, and by the end of the night, I'm exhausted. <laughs> you know? We thought it was challenging staying up till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning doing editing for a lot of time. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, uh, it says in John 15, 12 to 15, says, My command is this, and he's talking to the apostles, he's talking to the disciples, because this is right after they've argued about who is the greatest among them. Uh, and he says, my command is this, that you should love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, but a servant does not know, or because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. So it just goes to continue to show what kind of leadership he has. Is he's not holding secrets back from the people that he looks at as his friends. He's letting them know. They may not understand what he's telling them. They may not have that discernment yet. They may be so clouded with their own pride that they miss something, you know. Uh, it gets in the way. It does. It does, very much so. But, he, but he's there. He's present with them. And he allows them to understand those things. Um, so then, you know, um, what's interesting about the love that Jesus has for them is the example that we can use in this is that as a true leader, we need to be choosing to place ourselves at the feet of our friends, not at the head of our friends. We need to be serving each other. That's how you show true friendship is in service. You know, he took he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist and he slipped his sandals off and he grabbed a bowl and he filled it with water and he literally washed the past off of the feet of his friends. He lowered himself to a servant's standard. Because what he wanted to show was that he loved them so much that he was willing to serve them and he was willing to serve his father into death. And he even uses that example that the greatest thing that you can do is lay your life down for a friend. And so <clears throat> I think it's really important that we understand that that's not necessarily saying that you are always putting yourself in a risky situation where you're giving up your own life, but translating that into saying, you know what, like, I know it would be more comfortable for me to have a day off, but Josh is my friend, and Don is my friend, and Louis is my friend, and Sterling is my friend, and I want to be with them 
because I want to show them that they're okay. Well, maybe not Josh, but everybody else is. <laughs> we know that your favorite is Sterling. We understand. I know. That. Sterling's <laughs> perfect. Perfect. My car just drives here at this point. Right. Right. Exactly. Just put it on like, oh, pilot. Look who's here today. <laughs> But that's what I mean. It's things like that. You know, even just a simple gesture of saying, you know what, like, I'm going to set myself aside. I'm going to set my agenda aside because I want to serve my friends. And that's exactly what the example that we have through Jesus is, is loving your neighbor as yourself, loving your friends to the point in which you are willing to put your life or your life's pursuits even aside so that you can serve with them and for them. Um, and, you know, my next question is, like, what to, oh, hang on. Yeah, right. Right, exactly. Oh, okay, sorry. So, right. Um, so, as a people seeking to be more like Jesus in our leadership style and quality, what is our mission? That's that's the question that I have next. Is what is our mission? So if we're if we want to be leaders like Jesus, what should we be doing? What are the commands that we have? Well, we already know: love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But in doing so, there has to be a purpose behind it. Like just having those mentalities, I think, is following the commandment. But then, how do we use that? And you take that out of Matthew 28. In Matthew 28, before Jesus ascends into the kingdom of heaven, he says to his apostles and the disciples that are there, he says, uh, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And that's that's the point of good leadership. That's the point of biblical leadership is, you know, out of Genesis 9-1, um, God says to Noah, go be fruitful and multiply to the ends of the earth. And he's not just talking about building a family. He's not just saying to Noah and to his sons to go and have children, and have children's children, and, and, and so forth and so on, and grow the generations. He's also saying, go and multiply my image among these people. Go and take what you have learned from your experience with me, and share that, and multiply that with everyone. Tell them the good news. Yes, and that's exactly it. Go out. And share the good news and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's exactly, he's literally reiterating those same words. He's just using it slightly differently. You don't get to use that in my, my story in the family portion. I'm excited about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I think that, that, is, that that's our directive. That's, that's the only, that is the only commission that we get from Jesus. Outside of him going and talking about uh, praying, praying for the lost, praying with the lost, and, and all of these things are evidence. Those are evidence of what biblical leadership are. You know, um, the fruits of the Spirit. 
you know, out of out of the book of Galatians. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all evidence of living a biblical life, living a Christ-filled life, and following his footsteps in biblical leadership. When we are following along those, we continue to show that fruit, and those fruits continue to grow anew. And then when we multiply, and we have those opportunities to share the good news, the gospel, we get to see those fruits manifest in other people. You know, and then you go into the book of Ephesians, and it talks about gifts of the Spirit, and it's through, again, biblical leadership that we find what we're good at. We get to find those gifts that we're given, Pastor, uh, pastoring, teaching, preaching, uh, hospitality, like, the, you know, uh, I encourage you to look through the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, uh, between verses 11 and 13, and then there's other spiritual gifts that are described in the New Testament by Paul, but it's that's it, our guy too. Yeah. Oh, that's our guy. Yeah. Like I like. And what's so cool is looking at the leadership style of Paul. Paul is very much more of an more of an aggressive leader, which I really love. But it's interesting to see these twelve different men, or eleven different men, all have completely different leadership styles, but they all are following the exact same. Blueprint, or, or footprints. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that the most important thing about this, and, and really what I want to hammer home, is why is biblical leadership important? And um, I'm just going to, this is a little long, so I'm going to try and read it quickly, because I know we're getting close on time. But out of Romans 1, um, between verses 18 and 32, and I think that this... 100% directly applies to the United States and the world in 2022. And it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they become fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts, sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women, and I, I'm going to step on toes here, but that's this is, this is the word, baby. This is the word. In the same, uh, uh, even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with their with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they did not. 
so that they, excuse me, so that so that they do what ought not to be done. Uh, right, exactly. Uh, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, god-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And we literally are seeing these things unfold before us today. And this was written. It was talking about. <laughs> Maybe a little. He said today. Our show, your show certainly addresses it, right? But he, but this was written two thousand years ago, and. These are the same things that he dealt with 2,000 years ago, and it's still the same things that we're dealing with today. And that, and to me, that is, if there is a fear, that is the fear, that when you live outside of biblical leadership, then it's not God who is doing anything to you, it's him allowing those depraved things to continue to happen in a world that has no regard for him. But the greatest part about that whole story is that out of Romans 10.9, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he was resurrected from the dead, that you are saved. That's the good news. And that is the good news. And it's free. Absolutely free. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, that is, you know, that's what I was really passionate about when we started talking. And you and I talked about three or four different ideas and I was really tossing them around, but I literally woke up on Wednesday morning, and I went. It was it was already there. It was waiting on me. Oh man! Now, yeah. I was like, "All right, here we go. Let's do this. Let's do this." So, yeah. All right, I think that leads us right over into the family section. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. And so, I, I I like to start off with my stories because normally I go last. But hey, uh, it's I was so excited about this, and, and I know Alan was sitting on the edge of his chair last week to hear what was going to happen this morning, uh, and I've already tried to pry information out of it. It didn't work. <laughs> I told him, save it for the show. So this morning I got the opportunity, uh, let me backtrack a little bit. So uh, Alan and I, last week, or I think it was the week before, maybe, uh, we were up late editing for Latin Libertarian. That was last week. Yeah. It and feels like three weeks ago. It feels like it. And yet, it feels like yesterday. And so, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm wired, so I don't exactly you know go to bed right away. And I stay up a little bit, and then I get this message from uh, an evangelist, uh, Adam, and he runs a ministry in Pakistan. And he begins to ask me if I'm a minister. Uh, He's now a fan of the show, by the way. He, he was our 200th uh, follow on the on the Facebook page. That's awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, he, he uh, messaged me and asked me if I was a minister. I said, "No, my, my father's a minister." Um, and he said, "Well, you know, would you like to to give a sermon to this congregation in, in Pakistan that I represent?" And I, and I said, uh, "Well, that that would be lovely, but uh, my, my father's a minister." <laughs> and I was trying to like directly. Like, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I pawn this off, please? <laughs> I got a guy. 
tickets. I got it. He's, he's like, no, no, no. Uh, I would like for you to do it. And, um, and so I said, I said okay, I'll, I'll step up. And like my very first sermon ever. And then, um, so we, we kicked around, like, what should it be on? I thought, well, I mean, the easiest thing, well, not you know, say the easiest thing, but the best thing to get across through that language barrier and it being my very first sermon ever, and said, oh, salvation. Let's, let's go with salvation. So it kind of matches up exactly with what we're talking about this evening. And so I had to, like, scramble, and I'm trying to, like, okay, well, what if I, um, <laughs> what if I, experience in the past, like as far as messages go, like salvation, let's try to distill it into a 15 minute block of stuff that I can say. And I had all these things planned out and I was like, no, I just let me scratch that. And I was writing and it, it, it got kind of crazy, but it, it, it's Friday morning came this morning and, and I hopped on the call and, um, well, I mean, I can get back just a little bit before I hopped on the call because I was so nervous um, that I, uh, my body involuntarily shook this morning. I, I, I've played music in front of 200 plus people and I never, like maybe a little bit of bubble guts, you know, a little bit of butterflies, but it was never, never like that. And uh, my teeth actually chattered. And I, it was, I never experienced it before. I was so nervous. Was, uh, and, uh, and not just because it was cold outside, I legitimately was just nervous. Uh, but I hop on the call and almost all that just like kind of goes away immediately. Like, I can see Adam's face. You're over there on the video call. We're waiting for worship to end. And he's like, okay, when worship service ends, we're going to hop right on. We're going to do the sermon. And I tell you, um, I, I, I felt uh, silly at first because I, I didn't know when should I speak. I was waiting for him to translate. Um, but as the time went on, I got a little more comfortable and I, I wait, you know, I, I would wait the pauses out, make sure that he could translate well to the congregation. It was mostly women and children that I could notice uh, through this Zoom call, and uh, I, I had them raise their hands. You know, like if you were to die today, you want know, heads bowed, you know, so that they wouldn't see each other's hands. You know, if you were to die today, you know, you would go to heaven. A lot of hands came up, and that was like, oh, they hit, they hit so good, and, and uh, I just, I really enjoyed seeing that, but. Uh, as I, uh, I went through the message, I, I started with Romans 3.23 um, because uh, I wanted to let them know, like, hey, you know, we're all sinners. Yeah. So for all have sinned and fallen short of the right. glory of God, we cited it off the top of my head. Because yeah. I remember that first time I heard that verse, I was like, that's a powerful one right there. It's short and sweet, and it gets right to the point where we've all sinned and fallen short. And so, like, well, how do we get there? And so I dived right into John 3.16. Once again, most commonly known, at least in this country, but I didn't know how well they knew it over there in Pakistan. And I know that they had excuse me, regular church service, but I didn't know how often that that got brought up. And so I went right into John 3.16, and God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I was like, can you imagine that sacrifice, giving your only child, uh, who lived 33 years of a perfect life, and he loved us that much. And... And, it, and it's not even about just, like, giving, like, I have three sons. Like, giving your own child for one of your best friends. We're talking about a world of people. Yeah, for, for everyone. For everyone. But before you and after you. Yeah. And yeah. You can't, can't imagine. Right. I'll lay, I'll lay my own life down. But, but, but not your kid. But not my kid. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it's it's so much more, right? Yeah. And when, when are your boys gonna call you on that? I mean, that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably be Sam. Now I know which one to what not. That's it. That's it. Someone's gonna be like, I need your, give me your wallet. He's gonna be like, hey dad, yeah. pony up. <laughs> but uh, something that something that wonderful came with that um, also was because of last week, I had some material to pull from with my, my father who, who uh, brought out of Ephesians. Uh, chapter 1, 1 through 7, and so we went and read that. I said, you know, did you know that you were chosen even before you were born? And, and I, I had them read the scripture with me, and I could see the faces. Uh, they were they were uh, paying attention. They were really Connected connecting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, as it was being translated, I could see them. You know, they're, they're pulling their, their Bibles out, and they're, they're reading it word for word in, in their language. And that was so powerful. And, and so I closed with... Um, uh, with his father's nice clothes, and I could do like what will be an altar call. Uh, for those who don't know what an altar call is, at the end of a lot of church services, though, um, as uh, once again, you know, if you were to die today, would you know that you're going to heaven? And, you know, for those hands, obviously, I see those hands, you know, the ones that do come up, and, uh, and then they'll say, yeah, well, and as I, as I did, say, um, well, for those who don't know, I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. And I would go, uh, I went through and said, um, uh, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, and uh, I confess all my sins, past, uh, past present, future. Uh, please come into my heart and change my life, and uh, I will uh, be yours forevermore. And I said, I believe if you prayed that prayer with me today, that you're saved by Jesus Christ, and you're going to go to meet me and, uh, and all of your fellow brothers and sisters in heaven when you die. And I uh, said, so in Jesus' heavenly name we pray, amen. And uh, I got a message later on from Adon, and he was ecstatic, of course, because he, he loved he loved it. And, and I, I was worried that I didn't do it justice, that I didn't say the right things, or I was missing like context because I was like, okay, he's translating, so where was I at when I was talking? But that didn't matter. The 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 word doesn't come back void. So you know, so. Um, these people were hearing it, and he, he sent me a message uh, earlier today, and almost took me to my knees. The Holy Spirit hit me that hard; it just it hit so hard. Uh, he said three people got saved. And that, that's fantastic. And that little that's awesome today. And that's awesome. I'm like, glory be to God. That's all I can say. It's like it's like it wasn't. That's not me. Glory be to yeah. God. Yeah. Uh, I <laughs> I just couldn't wipe the smile off my face today. Yeah. It was such a good day. Like, great day at work. Everything flowed. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's my story today. That's awesome. Um, and you had uh, a similar story with your wife. Yeah, so, you know, I'll piggyback um, off, of, uh, off of your story. So my wife and I um, had a lovely experience with uh, coronavirus 19 Delta version because we didn't want to go for alpha. We just figured we'd go to the top dog and knock it out uh, in July. But respect. That's it. Like, <laughs> go big or go home, you know. Um but when, uh, you know, especially after she was really recovering and things like that, you know, um, when you are, when you when you feel like you are that close to death, and for her, she, she felt like she would go to sleep and stop breathing and not wake up again. Like, that's, that's where she was. She was in the hospital for a week. And uh, you get, you get real close 
with your with your God and with eternity and what whatever might happen. Um, and she had the incredible opportunity to share that testimony and how the Lord continues to heal her with a congregation out of India that she um, came in contact with. Uh, I don't remember through exactly who, but it was through like a network of people that we have gone to church with that are also missionaries that are friends with other missionaries, that kind of thing, you know, like, you know, five degrees of Kevin Bacon sort of, yeah. <laughs> sort of obscurity. Um, and so she had the incredible opportunity, and I got to meet them um, on her call, and then unfortunately I had to work, so, but she got a chance to share her testimony with them about everything that the Lord had done for her, pulling her out of that, uh, and being with her, and having her, uh, having his hand of healing over her, and how he was continuing uh, to heal her in so many ways. Uh, and it was such a cool experience because they had um, similar, you know, they had, I think, probably 20, maybe 30 people in their church uh, at the time. And um, it, was, it was just so cool to see brothers and sisters in Christ that, and we were talking about this a little bit before the show, that are truly outside of our scope of influence but that we have a God that brings us together like that. And and how how insane it is that this is a worldwide family. Like when you accept Christ in your life, you become a brother or a sister to everyone around you that has also accepted Christ in your life, uh, or in their life. And, and it also reminds me that when you were talking about your nerves, um, I was a, a youth pastor for a short time, a little over a year, and I remember I hadn't I hadn't really ever experienced. I feel like Alan knows the story. No, no, I was thinking he goes some of the kids. He, he um, said I was I was a youth pastor for a short period of time. And I go, as, I mean, time and space are relative, right? So maybe you were a youth pastor longer for shorter people. That's <laughs> that is you know. You know, in a, in a in a in a multiverse somewhere on the other side of the TARDIS, somewhere like that. Um, but uh, I remember having that same sensation, and and I think that part of it is, am I gonna say the right thing? Is what I'm gonna say gonna harm this person in their testimony, or is it gonna lead this person to the Lord? And and really, I think. What's encouraging is that it really doesn't matter what we say. Because when somebody's heart is ready to make that decision, it's going to happen. The Lord is going to move, and He moves, you know, as cliche as it is, He moves in mysterious ways, and He moves in the heart, which we can't, outside of physically removing it from someone's chest, but the, the, the internal emotional function of the heart, we can't touch you know, and, and the scripture says that, that only God knows the heart of a man. And that we don't know what words we're going to say to watch that person's life completely change. And and it's incredible. And it is frightening. Because there is so much weight to that. I remember my wife and I sitting on a couch and talking to my 8-year-old at the time, who is now 12. He'll be 13 in March. And having a conversation with him about who Jesus was, and 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 leading him 
into having a relationship and making a decision to accept Christ into his life. And, and you talk about fear. I mean, I'm looking at my own son going, Lord, I, I, I please be with me. Yeah. You know, because I don't want something that I say now to negatively change his perspective on that, you know. And, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know he's going to be in therapy for one reason or another, but I didn't I didn't want it to be because of the way that I delivered the gospel to him. being around Alan. That's a fact. And having two younger brothers. Yeah, absolutely. He's, my, he's basically my nephew, so. Yeah, yeah. Sorry? <laughs> I'll the bills. Oh, man. So, yeah. I am monetized. So I can pay for his therapy. That's right. Please. Please. So, Louis, do you have a, a story that uh, of you being nervous before you did something, like, like truly shaking nervous? Yeah. I want to go back to what he was saying about God wiping the feet of the other person. That's showing God is showing you that nobody's perfect and nobody's better than. That we're all the same, we're all brothers and sisters. And to follow the and follow God's name. Also, we have kids that don't respect their parents. They think they know more about their parents. They don't follow in God because we don't teach them about God. We let them go on their own do what they want, and they don't respect their parents, and they should respect their parents, because we know more than what they know. They think they know more what we know. Yeah, they well, that's, that's every every young kid is, oh, dude. <laughs> they really, yeah. they, what do you call it? They, they like to argue and fight back. It's the, it is the only promise, or it is the, it is the only commandment that comes with the promise. Respect your mother and your father. If you do, you will live a long life. That's and it. It's, it's the only, it, that legitimately, it's And at first, I didn't believe in God. Yeah. I was doing everything bad. I treated my wife bad. I treated my kids bad. And um, now that they're all grown up, they don't respect me. They don't care about me. But I try to change. I try to come back, help them down, try to show them that I care, you know, but to this day, they don't care about me. And I wish one day God will realize and help me to make them come back towards me and see that I'm not that same man that I used to be. And hope one day that it happens. Also that God put Jesus down here to give it all our sins. He put his son down here to sacrifice himself. And God must love us a lot to do that. Because he, he created us. He created all of us. We're all the same. We're all brothers and sisters. No matter what color we are. And we should all get together. And absolutely. And love each other. Because God is not going to take this man or that man, you know, and say, you know, I hate you, I hate you. 
But if you come into the Word of God and stop sinning, God will take you and bring you into heaven. But if you keep sinning, you might not. So try at least to bring him into your life. And that's much about I gotta say, it's like you got neighbors like Josh. He helped me out. When I needed to go to the hospital when I was in pain, he took me. He told me I didn't want to go. He said, no, we're going. He took me. And um, I You went. were very nervous about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went, the reason I was nervous because I've been through a lot in certain hospitals. I was thrown out of private practice early in the morning because they told me I had COVID and I knew I didn't have it. And we argued about it. And um, they decided to throw me out 20, uh, early in the morning. It was cold, but I had your blue jeans and your jacket. Yeah, that was it. And um, I went home. I was in pain because I had gallbladder problems. And um, Josh told me, "No, you're going to the hospital." But I told him first, I want to go to Walgreens and take a test to see if I was positive. They told me no. I was negative after the test, so I went with Josh. We went to the hospital. They took care of me there. They um, took my test. It was negative. And then they left me seven days because what the first hospital said that I had COVID. They didn't want to operate on me right away because they, they wanted to make sure. When I got my operation, they tested me again. Negative. Three negatives. So the way I see it is, there's a lot of evil out there, a lot of corruption, and it's got to stop. It's got to stop sooner or later. People got to start seeing God because it's, it's, it's getting out of hand. And I thank God, I mean, thank God, yeah, for Josh bringing me to the hospital and forcing me to go. And that's about what I got to say for now. Yeah. Alan, what about you? Uh, any stories that you were super nervous about? Something that really gave you some bubble guts? Or <laughs> bubble guts. Bubble guts, yeah. White castle on a Saturday night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that chocolate chip break you know. that we take for that libertarian. <laughs> I mean, I kind of get it. I mean, you know, coming on the show without the show notes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Um, nerves. Nerves, nerves, nerves. Definitely the drive to the hospital when Riley was going to be born. Yeah. Um, you know, that was that was something that it wasn't just let's get there safely. It wasn't let's hope this goes well. I mean that's all a part of it. Yeah. But at that point in time, I went from only affecting myself to affecting someone else, kinda of like what Don was talking about. Yeah. You know, and uh, there was a lot there. There was a lot there and then a few years later I've had an arrhythmia issue for a long time. And after I finally settled into having a child, being dad and everything else, and loved it, my heart fell out of rhythm. And for the first time, I couldn't walk into the ER and I fell. I just fell to my knees. I went tunnel vision, no oxygen getting to the brain, dropped to my knees. The only thing I could think was, is this all I get? I get, I get less than two years 
with my little baby girl. That's that's it. You know, and it's just not enough. It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, thankfully I'm here today. But that was the interesting part was I kind of went, okay, well, I don't have any control here. And that's something I don't handle well, <laughs> is not having any control whatsoever. But I finally just dropped from these and I said, okay, I don't, have, I don't have control. All I can say is, is this all, is this all I get? Is this all that, is this all this is worth? You know, and fortunately, yeah, yeah I'm still here bothering everybody. <laughs> giving you guys purpose to be here. That's right. Um, you keep bothering us. Yeah, well, hopefully, maybe. You know, and uh, get that uh, warm, fiery feeling every time Don speaks of God. That's right. As I'm supposed to, with his golden voice, right? Is that where you're going with that? <laughs> but no, that's that's really that's about it. I mean, I really I don't get nervous easily, but if I have to think of some time in my life. It's definitely everything that revolves around that little girl that happens to look like me. So that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you, Josh. Touch. I'm so happy I could do that for you. <laughs> Um, so I guess uh, since everybody's got some stories in, uh, we'll roll on into the politics portion. Let's do it. I think we're at a pretty good time. Um, so first story this week uh, comes to us from the Post Millennium. Um, they they had breaking, but this this is uh, a couple days ago. This was recently. <laughs> recently, yes. <laughs> so bipartisan Senate majority maintains filibuster and blocks Biden's voting bills. Um, Scroll just a little bit. Can I get that, that actual voting for that. Um, actually, uh, Chuck Schumer was a little bit perturbed about that. Kristen Cinema and uh, Joe Manchin were siding with the Republicans on this because they said, hey, uh, uh, well, it went 48 to 52 vote. I wanted to get that accurate. 48 to 52 vote. Um, that's almost right down the middle. That We almost lost the filibuster. Um, which is interesting that the Democrats, for me, would, would be pushing to get rid of the filibuster because right. they've used it so, so much. So when you lose power, yeah. <laughs> what happens? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then you're like, oh, let's dial this back a little bit. So Schumer's proposed filibuster change would what, 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 uh, would only have applied to election bills uh, the Senate was considering uh, Wednesday, but was still using the partisan nuclear option. So uh, even the, even though Manchin and Cinema repeatedly said they opposed this method, uh, and despite the supporting uh, support despite supporting the voting bills, so they were actually supporting the voting bills, but not. Yeah, and I think I think what they were talking about a little bit too is that they they want to see like as Democrats they wanted to see whatever the change was that they were trying to get at like this the the federal government being able to govern over the states who is allowed and and how they are allowed to vote and things like that like they were for it but they were not for essentially throwing up a brick wall and not allowing, you know, for standard congressional recourse to happen. You know, which I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think it takes some a lot of courage to be able to stand up to your own party and say, look, like, I agree with you guys, but I don't agree with the method that you're using. That, yeah, both, uh, neither party likes a free thinker. Right, and I right. Think, I think 
Um, even though there's been times where uh, mentioned cinema have both rubbed me the wrong way, I do enjoy the fact that they're free thinkers. Yeah. They, they, they do what they think is right, as right. opposed to what their, their own individual party thinks is right. And they legitimately represent their people. Like, they legitimately right. represent their people. They go, hey, this isn't good for my people, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My people wouldn't want this. They put me in this position yeah. to represent them. How dare I come up here and say something that doesn't directly represent them? Yeah, I think you and I had a discussion about that a couple of days ago, and just how frustrating it is to, to know that, I don't even think it's a majority of Congress in general, but how frustrating it is that we have people that get elected by constituents that are in a place to which they are supposed to be representing the interests of the people who voted for them in their demographics, and yet decide to choose a completely different either manner or direction to take that is opposed to what their actual constituents want. And it was two Democrats that they yep. vote. Yeah. Yep, that was that was cinema and mansion. Yeah. And how their uh, president of the United States threatened people to go for his agenda. Yep. It's kinda crazy for somebody I mean I think it was a pretty solid little talk we had last night that you know cinema and mansion are Probably libertarian. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, yeah, like li liberal leaning, libertarian kind of. Yeah, yeah, liberal leaning for sure. But still, I think that they're more of a standing mm -hmm. with an L next to their name than a D. But they understand that to get the votes, you really need an R or D next to your name. Yeah, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, and so that, that's why they, they choose to keep doing so. Yeah. But if they were being honest uh, about where they stand, I feel like being the free thinkers that they are. Uh, that L would stand yeah. to reason <laughs> be more uh, correct. Which yeah. is why when I officially run at some point, I'm going to try one time with an R and one time with a D. <laughs> and then we'll just see how it works. Just yeah, see how it works. Check it out. Well, I think I think for the depending on where you run for the state of Indiana, I think that 2024 is going to be a very interesting year. It is. And I, I honestly, I honestly think that there's going to be. I think that there might be a bit of a yellow wave that comes through, and it may not may not be that big. No. But but I think that there are there are people who are positioning themselves in crucial positions that are, that do fall in that liberal or libertarian party. That you know certainly if we could talk Dan Bongino into running, I think I mean you, you could see a pretty good yellow wave going on with that. Yeah. yeah. Even if it's just for a senator, see, right. which I think would be fantastic. For right, right. Well, and then you got the gubernatorial race with Donald Rainwater as, as the libertarian. I mean, he has garnered the... Sorry, Indiana, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he has garnered the highest percentage of votes of any libertarian candidate, I think, in the history of go gubernatorial elections. That I'm not sure. I know the last time he was, he topped out for the entire United States. He had more votes. Yeah. Here than any other libertarian governor. Yeah, and he and he had more votes in percentage than the Democratic candidate of Indiana. Wow! <laughs> like he fell in second place. And we know exactly what, what's happening there. Is a lot of Republicans are yep. realizing that Holcomb is not a Republican, but rather a Republican. That's coined by the left libertarian. What I do think, and, and I know you're going to move on to the next point, but what I do think is interesting about this 
uh, voting right bill that they were trying to pass. I think it was you and I that was talking about it the other day. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it is interesting that the Democratic Party is not looking at what is going to happen to the bill even after it passes and it's signed by the president. Because as I don't know any Supreme Court justice that is going to look at that bill and go, oh yeah, we can just go ahead and throw out states' rights to the government. But that's, I'm saying that's the one. That's exactly, yeah, that is the one. That is the one, you're absolutely right. But, but any other justice that is worth their weight is going to look at that bill and go, I mean, I agree with you, but again, you can't tell a state but, like, that's not how our government works. <laughs> we can't further split on people. Yeah. That's what it's going to, that's what yeah. it's causing, is division. Yeah. They're, they're looking for more and more division. Yeah. And I don't understand why they're driving that up. Yeah. I mean, that's why. Go ahead. Uh, going in our next story from Breitbart. Segway. Rand Paul says, it's dangerous to the country for Biden to be talking in public. It's dangerous to the public. Show the strength that we need um, on the international 
on an international stage, right? So Putin is not going to be worried about him. He's shown that he's not worried about him. I don't care how many times Biden steps up and says, we're going to cut them off from the dollar. We're going to stop this. We're going to stop that. What are you really going to do? I mean, this guy has so much power. His, while I have said before that Russia's GDP is equal to or only slightly greater than Italy's, just from the sheer power that he has over the people in that country, he can drive them forward. He doesn't have to pay them. He doesn't have to do a lot of things for them because, let's be honest, they fear him. And fear goes a long way in places where they don't understand they can have freedom. That's what Machiavelli said. So, Biden telling us that he's making threats is only dangerous because it makes us comfortable in believing that he's in control in the, on the international stage when most of us Definitely understand he's not. Yeah, we know that it was Kamala Harris for sure. So yeah, President Kamala Harris, as he keeps telling us. Well, <laughs> I think I think what's interesting too is I think that you know taking away the idea that like if he if he does have like a speech impediment or something like that, I don't think that that is what Rand Paul is leaning into. I don't think that he's you know as no, as, as we as we had said earlier, I don't think he's going for low hanging fruit on that. Because we've all seen, you know, the memes and the gifts and all of the stuff about the fact that he has a speech impediment, that he has a stammer that or something along those lines. That he doesn't have 15, 20 years ago, so right. that disappeared. Um, but what is interesting is that, first of all, I agree with you all that, that on an international stage, when you are dealing with people who, I mean, for, you know, all reality's sake, probably put people who have a scammer in their own political uh, circles in a closet somewhere because they don't want to look weak. You know, um, I don't know if that's actually happening, but I can I can imagine. I can, yeah, you I'm know. Sure there are a lot of senators and congresspeople that don't want to. Right, exactly. The camera because exactly, the because of that fear, yeah. And But I think that it's interesting that, uh, that even outside of, of a speech impediment or not, he just looks like he's always confused, or he's, if not confused, he is mixing, you know, column A with column B when he should be focusing on column C, because they don't, neither one of these things have anything to do with what he's actually out there talking about. And so it just, again, I I agree with you, I think that it shows that there's at least some disorganization, which can also translate into, well, if he doesn't know what's going on, and he's supposed to be the figurehead of the United States of America then nobody knows what's going on. Right. And sadly, that's, that. I mean, fortunately, that is not the case, but it's sad that that is the perspective, I think, on, you know, on an international level. The so way I see it is that Biden is a puppet for somebody that's really in charge. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way I see yep. it. That's a pure marionette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and notice that, geopolitically speaking, uh, that uh, Trump, had this way about him that, that exude strength. Just it. And, and maybe a little bit crazy. I voted for the guy, but I, I, maybe a little bit crazy. You need a little bit of crazy. It's a little bit crazy. Unpredictability. You need right. that unpredictability, though, because that puts Putin, guy, or guys like him, in check. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, because if you see uh, Putin come now and he's talking about the United States, he's, he'll, he's willing to bash us at the drop of a hat. But when Trump was in office, you 
was just a little bit scared of what might happen. Or you know, like Trump was carrying the nuclear option in his pocket. You know? Or at least, or at least kept his cards more abreast. Yeah. You know, Putin was not somebody who was just going to let you see his whole hand. Yeah. Because I mean, even I feel like somebody like Putin was less of a risk than someone like Kim Jong Un, who he, who you know, President Trump met with, shook his hand, and, and respected him for who he was. But if you look at the relationship of like North Korea and the United States, that's always been a volatile situation. And yet, when you can meet somebody who is an egomaniac on that same level with a little bit of crazy, why not? Like It's, it's going to make a difference. Even, if, even sure. if the relationship doesn't change, the perspective is what changed. You know, and then you put somebody else in office who seems disorganized or seems like they may not know exactly what's going on or they stumbles upstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then then you have then you have a situation where it's like, okay, well all of a sudden they went from somebody who was a slightly insane businessman who started running the country to someone who is slightly insane. You know, that like you know, and, and, and it just doesn't it doesn't vote well. Yeah, it doesn't show the, the true strength of America. Right. Uh, now, showing, we did get to show a little bit of strength, uh, the American strength, uh, earlier this week, uh, as the U.S. Navy, uh, this is a story from the 1945.com, uh, uh, the, the U.S. Navy uh, just showed off its firepower in the South China Sea. So, um, what actually happened here, because they're in the maritime waters, uh, China has been doing a lot of flyovers in a lot of places that they don't have business. Uh, particularly towards the Philippines, um, but America, you know, we stand up for the Philippines. That's an ally, and so we we started flying our jets in there and um, showed this showed us uh, showed them our strength through through military might. Um, uh, the USS Carl Vinson and the uh, landing helicopter dock on the USS Essex were the two um, launching. Airplanes uh, and uh, jets out into the maritime water, showing China that we're still America. We may have a bumbling fool in the White House, but these generals said we're still America. You yeah. should still respect our place in the world. Yeah, I, I was, I was really interested in reading that article because not only did they name off, I think seven or eight different ships that were involved in that, like in those. Um, yeah, and, and, and in those drills and stuff like that, but then they also talked about, is it the P-35, P-30, the... Oh, F-35B? F, the... F-35B and F-35C. Yeah, stuff. the new stealth, the new stealth fighters and stuff. Oh yeah, if you to look up those images. They're so cool, yeah, dude. They're, the coolest they're so cool. <laughs> they're so cool. Um, yeah. But, yeah, we're, we're, we're finally, you know... Even if it's just our generals um, and not our supposed leader, or commander in chief, you can yeah, say in that role, commander in chief. Yeah, representative in the White House. Um, <coughs> strength. At least our generals are still standing up, saying we're still America, and you're going to respect us. Yeah, um, and, and not just that, but but you know, keep your nose clean, stay out of our buddy's business too. Yeah, because China was trying to flex their muscles a little bit with their F-14s. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, oh, so you're just showing us that you're stuck in the 1980s, right? We're in 2021. We're yeah. in 2022. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We have those rusting in scrapyards, guys. <laughs> <laughs> those are spare parts for our kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw one of those in the hallway when I was walking out to my locker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that. So to step over to our, our final story of the night, um, this this one's just uh, going to touch back into the faith portion a little bit, and, and it's it's not necessarily full and political at all, really. Um, but it was on GodUpdates.com, and my wife actually shared this story with me, and I thought, how cool is this? Um, Mark Wahlberg, I don't know if you know Mark and Mark, and he was on the Wahlbergers television series, he's been in a ton of movies, he ruined Transformers, but that's okay, we forgive him, he's, he's, he's also a man of faith. Uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg's uh, daily schedule includes prayer, and he says his faith makes him a better dad. We actually talked about that a little bit during our message today, so I feel like that it's right now. Um, he said that he may not always make it to the gym, but he never skips time with God. He spends 20 minutes a day, every day, no matter what, doing uh, prayer and reading his devotionals. And he also has Bible study with his children. And um, I think that that's uh, a good place for a lot of people to um, find solace in today because you don't see that a lot and we're talking about the how to think and he's giving these kids the blueprints the yep. footprints of where you know how to think so that when they go out into the world they're, they're facing these adversities you know i started my day with prayer i'm going to pray throughout the day yep. i've got my devotionals i've got the scripture written on my heart i'm going to take that into the world and i just i just, I just found this to be so powerful to see that someone who um has, uh, you know, tangibly speaking, you know, he can buy whatever he wants. He yeah. can go wherever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. And he chooses to spend time with his family. Yeah, with his faith. And his faith. Yeah. And uh, although I don't, I've never seen him get political. Uh, sure. Mark Wahlberg, if you're listening, we'd like to have you on the show. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Maybe tell a little rap or something. <laughs> Um, so, anyways, uh, thoughts on, uh, on, the, on this uh, celebrity father uh, having prayer time in the morning? What do you think, Louis? I think it's pretty good. Uh, I also want to bring up about Milo dying today. Okay. I also want to bring up about Milo dying today, and there was another one. Louis Anderson. Yes. Louis Anderson passed away? Yeah, oh, Anderson. man. We had some, had some big celebrities there. Golly. Hey, he was working on his weight. Are you going to let me Louis Anderson has not been a big celebrity, <laughs> regardless if he was working on his weight or not, in a very long time. I think he was, I think he was a sweet guy. I don't know much about 100%. his. 100%. Yeah. Personal life. Did you ever watch his cartoon? I love his cartoon. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. I mean, he, I, I listen to a lot of comedy. Like, usually I'm driving around, I don't listen to music much anymore. I'm sorry, I don't need to roll over you there. Uh, uh, but I have to say, it was one of the funniest things. We're talking about this. He actually died from complications from cancer. Was, okay. He was working on that. So this joke isn't going to land in a dark place, except for the simple fact that he said that he had a heart attack a few years ago. And that he said, what he understands now about the healthcare system in America is if you're a big guy, you just walk in and hold your chest, and you get right to the front of the line. <laughs> well, I remember that. Yeah, that thing would go back with John Panette. Uh, I was to say, get out of line. Because he was trying to get to the buffet. People oh, <laughs> could make a decision whether they wanted tomatoes or broccoli on their salad. He's just like, get out of line. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's so great. So, take from you, that meatloaf. Well, that's that's yeah, well, Meatloaf was a man of faith. Uh, you know that uh, to be true. Yeah. Uh, he was a Christian man. 
so yeah, to see, to see that there's certain celebrities out there that you know, even though they're they're famous and they got money and they got all these things, um, they show that the, the camel can still get through the eye of the needle. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I, and I think I think that's a good place for us to to, to close. Um, so Don, with that. Uh, would you leave us in prayer? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Father God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to share your truth, share your word, share your love, Lord God. We ask that uh, that your word today and that our conversation today, Father God, can plant new seeds, Lord God, that it can uh, grow in someone's life, Father God, that they would uh, that they would not only be free thinkers, Lord God, that they would not only uh, take their life seriously, Lord God, but that they would also take their eternal life seriously, Lord God, that they would know that you sent your only son, Father God, to lay his life down on a cross for the forgiveness of our sin, Lord God, that he is preparing a place for us in your kingdom, and that you are going to call us home, Father God, one day. We just thank you so much for every opportunity we have to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ into people's life, and that we can continue to grow our family of brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us here on Faith, Family, and Politics. I'm your host, Joshua Cummins. Louis Rodriguez here to my left. Over to my right, Don Martyr, and you know him, you love him, host of Laughing Libertarian, Alan McFarland. Yeah, there's a clap. Thanks, guys. If you would like to help our brothers and sisters in Pakistan, please visit jfp.ministries.org and click donate.